Would you stand and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning we're reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. And he called to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, today we celebrate Confirmation Sunday. We have 25 young people seated here in these center sections right up front. But this is not the first day they have thought about this. They started all the way back in August, meeting on Sunday mornings to study our faith, to look at the major themes of the Bible, and to learn how the Bible was compiled and how it came to be and how God speaks to us through that, what the major points of belief are in terms of who God is and what difference it makes if we follow Jesus Christ, how God can be present with us through the Holy Spirit. They learned about John and Charles Wesley and how they started this Methodist movement and their mother Susanna and how she was instrumental in their faith development and how now that movement has spread across the world. And what we believe as Methodists in terms of the love of God and God's grace being poured out upon us and what that means for the way we live and the decisions we make and how it may change some things that we might have done that we wouldn't do because we are a Christian or some things we maybe wouldn't do, but because we're a follower of Christ, we will do them because we've come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ in our own lives. Well, they come to this point now, this what we call the age of responsibility, where we believe they're ready to study these things and then make a decision by their own volition, stand up and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when they do that, they join the Boston Avenue Church, but they join more than that. They join the whole family of Christ through the ages and around the world. A little bit later 
in the service, we will read an affirmation of faith together that you have never seen before. Because these young people wrote it just a few weeks ago. I was with them on a Sunday morning, and I said, you've been studying these things. Tell me what you believe. And so we had quite a discussion about that. Then we broke up into smaller groups where they could write about what they believed about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and about the church and about what that means for our own lives. We'll read that together later. You'll find it quite interesting, I think, the way they have expressed their faith as a group in terms of what they have learned and what they have thought about this year. So they're about ready to stand later in this service and profess that faith for themselves and say, I want to be a part of this. And it's more than just the church. It's this Jesus movement, this movement of God to build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven empowered by the Holy Spirit. Each one of them will kneel later in the service, and I'll ask God that the Holy Spirit come upon them, that being born through water and the Spirit, that is, as a human and as a Christian, that they might live as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. We'll do that for each one of them individually because it's so important that all of us make a commitment of faith to say we want to be i want to be a follower of christ and i'm going to live my life in just such a way that i'm a part of that jesus movement some of you may have seen the musical godspell last weekend our senior high youth performed a couple of different times that musical it follows the life of jesus it's a fun and wonderful play it it gets at this sense of God doing something new, God doing something special through Jesus. You get this idea that there's a movement going on here, that something's happening through this Jesus character. But toward the end, they come to a song called Beautiful City. It kind of has a haunting melody. But it talks about that we can build a beautiful city. Not a city of angels, but a city of man or a city built by humanity. That when we work together, we can do this. It comes in the play in terms of the sequence right after Jesus and the other characters in the play have talked about this passage that we have in Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about if someone's hungry, you should feed them. If someone's thirsty, you should give them a drink. If someone needs clothing, you should help them have that clothing. If someone's naked, you should respond to that and help them. If someone's in prison or needs a helping hand or a listening ear, that as followers of Jesus, we should be the ones who respond to that. And when we do, we can build a beautiful city, the song says. We can respond to God's love in Christ to do this very thing. But if you read on through that passage in Matthew 25, you get the main point, the main thing that's being stressed is action. The stress is on doing it to the least of these, which Jesus says are members of my family. That these who are in need in our world are members of my family Jesus says that's what I think he's getting at in this passage 
We just read from Mark. He's talking about family. And how do we decide who the family is and therefore whom we care about and to whom we offer love? In verse 33, he's been told that his biological family is waiting outside and they want him to come out. But he replies, who are my mother and my brothers? Now, he's not forgotten who his mother is. This is something Bible scholars often call prophetic hyperbole, where he uses an exaggerated phrase to make a point. He's not denouncing his family, but he's making a point about how very important his faith commitments are in his life and how they call for certain actions on his part. Who are my mother and my brothers? He says, and looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God is part of my family they're included it's a whole new set of relationships a whole new family is created by this love of god that we encounter through jesus christ and through this love that we can experience in christ we're called to share that love with others friends and neighbors to anyone in need in fact I've got a book I'm going to be using during this series called Gardening Mercies. It's by a woman named Lori Keeler. The subtitle is Finding God in Your Garden. She writes about in each chapter different kind of gardening experiences and then connects them to faith. In one of them, she writes about her sister. She says her sister is a wonderful gardener. And she said to go to her house for dinner was such a treat. Because what happened was she would ask you what you wanted in terms of vegetables and herbs and such for dinner. And then you could go out and pick them fresh off the vine or she would go and pick them for you. She said it was unbelievable the feast she prepared. And when you ate it, such fresh produce, the, the flavors would just burst onto your taste buds. But she said one year she thought maybe I could grow something. And she decided to plant her own vegetable garden. She chose in particular a certain tomato that she really liked. For those of you who are gardeners, she says it's a brandywine tomato. She says it's the best tasting tomato in the world. And so she was going to grow some. And sure enough, she planted her own plants. And they grew and they were bountiful. And she shared them with friends and neighbors and the postman and anybody that wanted any. But she said it was so wonderful to know that she was eating something that she had planted, that she had fertilized, that she had watered and nurtured to life. And she says as she was having that experience that summer, she began to think, this is like my faith. At first, I depended on others for my spiritual food. I thought others know how to pray better, so I'll let them pray. 
Others know more about Scripture, so I'll let them tell me what the Bible says. But then she says as a young adult, she got involved in a Bible study that engaged her in a new way and caused her to go deeper in her Scripture study and to learn more about her faith than she had ever experienced before. She said she realized there was a shift in her faith journey when she moved from counting on someone else to take care of it to standing up for herself in terms of her faith. She said, I used to think the Bible was just kind of an old, stale book, but I learned it was like a feast. The Word of God had something new to learn every time I opened it and something you could just learn and study and savor. She talks about all the advantages she experienced in terms of growing her own garden, but then also growing her own faith. I want to read just a few sentences about what she writes at the end of this chapter. She says, The advantage of growing your own faith is that you become more confident and more joyful. You see God answering your prayers, your questions, revealing himself to you. That's a supernatural high, she writes. But then she adds this sentence. But you can't experience it if you don't put in the time to prepare your soil. You can't experience it if you don't put in the time to prepare your soil. These young people that sit before you and will stand before you in a few moments have put in the time more than 30 weeks now. Every Sunday morning, they've gone on retreats, they've done service projects, they've prepared their soil, they've cultivated their lives so that God might be alive and growing in them. How are you doing in preparing your soil? In cultivating a vital and growing spiritual life? Have you been working the soil? Are you putting in good nutrients? Are you spending time with God? Are you practicing prayer? Are you in a Bible study? Do you have a group like they did that you meet with regularly that supports you in growing into a more mature disciple of Christ? Are you trying to make every decision in a way that it would be in line with God's will in the world? Are you cultivating the soil of your soul? Are you expecting that God will bring new life and new growth in your life this week, this year? This whole sermon series I'm calling Tending the New Creation. We're talking about what it means to be a new creation. We celebrated Easter and said that God did something great because God loved us so much. He wanted us to know for sure that His love was the greatest thing in the world and we read a text last week for our sermon beginning it was out of second corinthians chapter 5 i want to read a few verses to you again to remind you what paul says about this for if we are beside ourselves it is for god if we are in our right mind it is for you for the love of christ urges us on 
Because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Mature Christian faith lives not for self alone. That is the old creation. Mature Christian faith lives for Christ and for others. That is the new creation. When we see the love of God alive in the world, when we see that God has raised Christ from the dead and that His love transcends not only our life circumstances but even death, and we respond to that, we join the family. We become a part of the family that loves even the least of these who's ready to love and serve in the name of Christ whenever we have opportunity and whenever we feel that call. Jesus says back there in Mark, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is saying we have to do something if we're going to experience the fullness of the family of Christ. Oh, we believe certain things, surely. 